Welcome, welcome, welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. My name is Reverend Marisol Caballero. You can call me Mari. And I am assistant minister here. Uh, I want to say a very, very big extra welcome to folks who are here for the first or second time. Please join me by, in the words by which we light our chalice. It's found in the order of service. In the light of truth, in the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning is by Gordon McKeeman. We summon ourselves from the demands and delights of the daily round, from the dirty dishes and the unwaxed floors, from the unmowed grass and the untrimmed bushes, from all uncompleteness and not yet startedness, from the unholy and unresolved. We summon ourselves to attend to our vision of peace and justice, of cleanliness and health, of delight and devotion, of the lovely and the holy, of who we are and what we can do. We summon the power of tradition and the exhilaration of newness, the wisdom of ages, and the knowing of the very young. We summon beauty, eloquence, poetry, and music to be the bearers of our dreams. We would open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to the amplest dimensions of life. We rejoice in manifold promises and possibilities. We walk in here such different people. We come from so many different upbringings, so many different philosophies, theologies, religious backgrounds, um, things that inform our lives and our spiritualities. We come from backgrounds in Judaism and Buddhism and Hinduism and Christianity and earth-centered traditions and humanism. And we come here together and we're one church and that seems kind of weird to some folks. But we make it work so beautifully, I, I do say. And part of what gels us together is our mission statement. We like it so much that we wrote it on the wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Today's reading is entitled The Gods in My Closet, and it's by Terry Dennehy Pahuki. I find them everywhere, in the sunrise, in my toddler's giggles, in age-old traditions, in the courageous surrender of a friend on the brink of death. Pieces and particles of gods, even whole gods, examined, collected, and eventually stuffed into the back of my closet. Some of them I've had for years, hand-me-down heirlooms I may have outgrown and can't bear to give away. Others I've meticulously stitched by hand from an eclectic assortment of fabrics. 
In fact, I've got a closet full of gods that I try on for size when I need one. Some I save for special occasions. The God that sustains through funerals. The God of family get-togethers. Others appear when I least expect them. God the Savior. God the Jokester. I am in awe of the God of nature and mystified by the God of time. I'm struggling with the God of relationships and grateful for the God of second chances. Amidst my menagerie, there's one God that appears most often, one who refuses to remain in the closet, hidden among the dusty refuge. This is the God of questions, the God of human longing, a God as familiar as my worn-out genes and as intimate as my own skin. Inevitably, the God, this God arrives just as I've begun to sink back into my easy chair and with one swift blow knocks me into the world of the living. For I have done more than wear my gods on the outside. I've also swallowed them like a holy wafer and made them part of myself. And they have begun to echo in the still small voice a still small miracle of my voice in my questions, in my searching, and in my longing for the discovery of life and all its gods. And now I'll invite you to join me in the spirit of prayer and meditation. This prayer I've chosen is by Leif Seligman. Loving God, We pause in the stillness to rest for a moment, to quiet ourselves so that we can feel what stirs within us. Each breath draws us closer to the pulse of life, and with each exhalation we make room for something new. May we find in this gathering the comfort of those who care. May we encounter patience along our growing edges and encouragement and compassion in our most tender spots. Here, may we find the inspiration and encouragement we need to face our challenges and nurture ourselves. And in the presence of suffering across the globe, may we redouble our efforts to practice kindness where we are, with the hope that the light of our actions travels like the light of faraway stars. May our gestures of compassion and generosity seed possibility. May we walk humbly with one another choosing reconciliation over resentment as we try to live right-sized. When life presses in and shifts us off balance, when pain assails us, when frustration mounts, may the rhythm of our breath study us and bring us back to a place of gratitude. Amen. And now, during our musical meditation, you're invited to quietly Light a candle that signifies all that you've brought in with you. We bring in all of that messy stuff of life, all that we mourn and all that we celebrate. And we feel quite alone in these thoughts, these feelings. But in lighting a candle with these thoughts on your heart, I invite you to imagine that they are then lifted up in the flame and the smoke and become the very air that we breathe. 
so that we can all breathe in all of your joys, all of your triumphs, all of your pitfalls and, and mournful events, that it can become that very air that we share and that you don't hold it alone. Sermons, like people, have so many ways of coming into this world and living among us. This one had a birth so unusual that I thought I'd share the story with you. One of the many, many reasons that being a Sunday school teacher or youth group advisor here is one of the most fun and rewarding ministries to get involved with at this church is that we have begun to hold monthly happy hour gatherings to help grow our friendships and strengthen the bonds between volunteers. It was while chomping on pizza and sipping on wine that I received an urgent text message from Vicki Valadez, our communications coordinator. It turns out that she was at home finalizing the last edits of the February newsletter when she realized that today's sermon, the title and synopsis, were not included in my month's submissions to her. She needed the information right away. I saw the text and said out loud, perplexed, but I don't preach in February. As I checked my calendar, and then that was followed by an, oh, I do preach in February. I don't preach in March. Now, I'm not sure how other ministers do it, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are others who, for coming up, uh, whom for coming up with uh, sermon topics is second nature. But for me, choosing a topic and writing a sermon means a way of being in the world. I must be deliberate about remaining open to inspiration. My eyes, ears, mind, and heart must be poised for the spirit to glide over and land on one of my outstretched branches. And sometimes I sit for weeks like this before I realize success. I realized that I would not have such a luxury this time. So in an effort to force the muse... I did what any other minister might do in a similar situation. I asked a table full of pizza-weighted, beer-soaked Sunday school teachers what I should preach on at the end of February. Luckily, I was sitting across the table from Connor, whose talent is currently employed in religious exploration with three- and four-year-olds. He said, talk about love. Well... It'd be the end of February. Valentine's will be over. Everyone will already be all loved out. (laughs) I don't actually believe this congregation's capacity for love is that limited, but I wanted to explore other options. And as it was pointed out to me very rightfully so um, after last service, it is Black History Month, and that would have been a great topic. And in the moment, under the gun, Sense eludes. So 
We carried on. Well, hmm, what else happens in February, says Connor. I don't know, he says. February is sort of the armpit month of the year. Nobody looks forward to February. What do you mean? Well, in the fall, you have school starting and leaves turning. Pretty soon, it'll be the holidays, Halloween, Thanksgiving, followed by Christmas. Then in January, there's the new year and all the excitement that goes along with that. Then the next thing people are going to look forward to is springtime and things warming up, everything in bloom. So February stinks. It's the armpit month of the year. Everyone wants to get it done with. Maybe that's why it's so short. <laughs> I can honestly say I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, so you should talk about all that is to come, finding beauty in unexpected places, since this is the time of year that things aren't so beautiful. And sometimes the spirit just plops down across from you, drinking craft beer and eating good pizza. These are the people that we have teaching our littlest Unitarian Universalist folks. Quality. Now, I'm not sure I'm ready to call this month the armpit month of the year, but I understood where Connor was coming from. Especially since I, and maybe many of you can relate, have been in kind of a funky mood lately. When I read that story to my fiancé, she said, it's really great. My kids, my story for all ages, she said, it's really great, but isn't it a little bit autobiographical? (laughs) Ouch. So... (laughs) So, I have no reason to feel grumpy, but I do. I love my job. It keeps me plenty busy. I love my fiancé, and I'm loving the process of wedding planning. I have great friends. I adore living in Austin, and I'm in good health. No complaints. Really. No real reason to feel anything but contentment. Contentment. Did I say contemptment? (laughs) See what I'm saying? It just happens. (laughs) Really, so deep down I do feel contentment. But I've been unusually grumpy. So maybe it's true. Maybe this time of year is one that we naturally would rather skip through. I'm sure that in those colder regions of the country, they would rather be, they would, they would be pretty happy to, to rush into spring at this point. I'm uh, going to get a taste of it myself tomorrow morning. I'm heading first thing to Boston for a week, so pray for warmth. Um, but perhaps it's easier to expect to see, to witness examples of beauty and goodness when there is contentment in the now. Searching for beauty with a capital B. Holding out our expectant branches, hoping to feel the sudden light-weightedness of its truth. 
It's hard when we're grumpy, especially when there is a truly heavy burden of another sort weighing our thoughts down. A couple of years ago, my Aaron and I went on a pilgrimage of sorts to Big Bend. We stopped in the tiny ghost town of Terlingua at a house whose sign beside the dirt road beckoned us to come in to view its art gallery. Inside, we found a few paintings by various local artists along the walls and bought some candles labeled Tranquility from the woman inside. I noticed a stack of small bumper stickers next to the cash register that read, Push Me Toward Becoming in Terlingua, Texas. And I was moved to buy one. It seemed like a prayer push me toward becoming in Terlingua, Texas. Though I have heard many verbs used in prayers, guide, remind, teach, hold, I had never before heard one so bold as push. So I stopped Erin in her browsing to show her what I'd found, and she liked it too, and wondered aloud, we wondered together, what it, would, what it would mean to be pushed toward becoming. Becoming what? More fully human? A better person? Or it could just mean becoming. We're never fully finished. We're always becoming. We bought the candles and the bumper sticker, which I had resolved to stick on my new bike helmet back home, and we set off. As we backed out, Aaron noticed a small sign above the door to the house. It read, Becoming. The gallery's name was Becoming. <laughs> we had a great laugh. But somehow the bumper sticker's prayerful message didn't seem less poignant. Maybe we're not so unlike the bare tree branches of February. Maybe we're in need of being pushed toward becoming too, even if we're a bit grumpy. I like the idea of always being in formation, of never fully arriving I can imagine that for some, this idea would bring discontentment with the present self as we're focused on a quest toward becoming a future-focused endeavor. But surprisingly, I think that the notion that we can be hoping, striving, working at becoming would allow for a greater sense of peace with the self in the present moment, a forgiveness of all that we have not been and are not, a release of hypercritical self-judgment because we can let go of the expectation of perfection. If we pray to be pushed toward becoming, we might be awakened to the understanding that there is beauty in not only having having already become, but more so in the becoming. Beauty dwells in the in-betweens, the unfinished, the unpolished, imperfect, even in the armpit of our calendar. 
I spent some time researching various thoughts on beauty, what it actually is, and how it can be located and perceived. Here are some of the opinions I ran across. Everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it. Confucius. Never lose an opportunity of seeing anything beautiful, for beauty is God's handwriting. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Beauty is whatever gives joy. Edna St. Vincent Millay. Beauty is one of the rare things which does not lead to doubt of God. Jean Ennui. Yesterday we obeyed kings and bent our necks before emperors, but today we kneel only to truth, follow only beauty, and obey only love. Khalil Gibran. Everyone needs beauty as well as bread, places to play in and pray in, where nature may heal and give strength to body and soul. John Muir. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and it may be necessary from time to time to give a stupid or misinformed beholder a black eye. Miss Piggy, the Muppets. (laughs) Yes, beauty is subjective, but I do like the idea of waking ourselves up to it and helping our soul point it out to our eyes, or perhaps it works the other way around. But once in a while, we all need that. Sometimes we do need a push. While in Africa earlier this year, I noticed that in Tanzania, it's popular to decorate one's car or van's windows and windshield with American corporate logos and words in English. Other than a connection to the West, These decals have no apparent context. We saw a Nike check mark. We saw an Apple computer logo, as well as one windshield that read iPod in big white letters. But by far, though, our favorite was an overcrowded bus that drove past us with giant letters, thanks God, on the windshield. Something may have been lost in translation. It didn't say, thanks be to God, or thanks, comma, God, just thanks God. It was almost as funny as the church sign further down the highway that told us we were passing the Church of the End Times Massage. (laughs) Must be a pretty good massage. (laughs) Even so, thanks God became not only our inside joke for the remainder of the trip, but also our shorthand for describing our awe and gratitude for moments of discovering immense beauty and kindness. Since returning home, there have been many unexpected moments when a noteworthy sunset, a lingering hummingbird, the smile of a stranger, or an extended hug will provoke a, thanks God, Thanks, Tanzania. If moving toward becoming requires creating inviting branches of our eyes, ears, minds, and hearts for beauty to come and perch on, how do we successfully extend such an invitation in order to seek our beauty? Outside of what 
TV, movies, and magazines tell us about it? How will we recognize the truly beautiful about this world? How will we know it when we see it or feel it so that we can properly cherish it? And how can we then embody beauty ourselves? In her essay, What Shall We Do With All This Beauty?, Rebecca Ann Parker agrees with James Baldwin when she says that the greatest challenge in our lives is the challenge presented to us by the beauty of life, by what beauty asks of us, and by what we must do to keep faith with the beauty that has nourished our lives. We're living in an age in which the best of ourselves is being asked of us, by this beautiful, ailing world. What a mighty gift. Parker encourages us to not be daunted in our becoming when she says, I believe that in rising to the occasion of what is asked of us now, we will discover a depth of strength and a richness of love and courage that we did not know we could claim or achieve. I believe that in rising to the occasion of our times, we will wade into the mystery of life to a depth we did not know was available to us. In her, she ends that that same book. The book is um, Blessing the World. At the end of that book, she writes a beautiful poem entitled Benediction, and this is part of it. She, the, she includes these words, which I could say very honestly, I could hang easily my entire, the entirety of my personal theology and hope. The choice to bless the world is more than an act of will, a moving forward into the, the world with an intention to do good. It is an act of recognition, a confession of surprise, a grateful acknowledgement that in the midst of a broken world, unspeakable beauty, grace, and mystery abide. There is an embrace of kindness that encompasses all life, even yours. And while there is injustice, anesthetization, or evil, There moves a holy disturbance, a benevolent rage, a revolutionary love, protesting, urging, insisting that which is sacred will not be defiled. Those who bless the world live their lives as a gesture of beauty, of thanks for this beauty and for this rage. Maybe... Just maybe, the cure for the February funk isn't the hope of March or April after all. Please join me in the words by which we extinguish our chalice found in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Choose to bless the world by allowing beauty to push you toward becoming. Go in peace. Amen. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, 
visit our website at www.austinuu.org.